Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam McGuire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Oh, be Jesus, Seamus, thank you so much for that introduction. You're sounding lovely and looking grand today. Welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen, Thursday, September 17th. Halfway to St. Patrick's Day. Sticks and taps. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, on the beautiful Long Island, part of the great state of New York in the United States. And everybody, please say hello to your friend and mine from the great city of Ottawa in the great white north of Canada, Mr. Liam McGuire. How are you, sir? How's she going, Polly? How's she going? And big thanks, as always, to Seamus for opening up the bar because... You know, I hate to have a drink before he says it's okay. <laughs> uh, he's always looking out for us now, man. Good stuff. Yeah. He's a good man, that Seamus. He's a good man. Never gives you a buyback, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Not allowed well, unless you buy an appetizer. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Well, an appetizer I've always considered to be a shot of whiskey. So there you go. We're perfect. No problems. Have you ever, do you have a story? Have you ever gone into an Irish pub where you've had a problem? Where you think you maybe shouldn't have had a problem? And like a, an Irish pub in Ireland or an Any, Irish pub anywhere. by Canadian standards? Anywhere. Anywhere. Yes. You have, you have something where you, you went yes. in with a smile and then it just went south on you. <laughs> yep. Yep. At Irene's, I think it was called on Bank Street about, uh, oh, probably close to 30 years ago now. So it was, uh, yeah, the night started out so lovely <laughs> and ended so poorly. <laughs> what the uh, bartender and I had, Polly, was a failure to communicate. Ah. <laughs> he was communicating and I had a failure to understanding. <laughs> little liquid filtration going on there. Well, you know, I just we had a disagreement on whether I should be served another one or not. And, um, yeah, it led to some broken glass and and some blood and a few stitches but uh you know I didn't uh, set foot in that place for a long time after that but um <laughs> it was uh it was just a misunderstanding really I was at a I was at a I was at a hockey game in Montreal and came back by bus and and you know emotions were running high and um I needed just to have a few nightcaps to uh to put put a cap on the evening. That's why they call them nightcaps. Yes, and indeed. it just uh, it just didn't work out. But you know what? I mean, other than that, and that is, I believe, the only time I've gone in because Irish pubs, by their very nature, are just great places to go and have great times. And you look at the place that bears my name here in Ottawa. Uh, you would not consider it necessarily an Irish pub because sticking Liam McGuire's name on anything, certainly in this region, would just really have a strong connotation to hockey, really more than anything. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot of people that come in, maybe not so much anymore. We've been open over 17 years, um, hanging in there, by the way, through COVID with the patio and, and limited people inside. We're doing the best we can. But I mean, you'd still expect it to have an Irish sort of a little bit of a feel to it. And so much as that we're not an Irish pub per se, we certainly cater to St. Patrick's day. As you say, we're halfway there. So, and God willing, Polly, who knows down the road, maybe you'll get here and, uh, and we'll go and we'll, uh, we'll dine and, and, uh, and drink and, and have a merry old time. And it's, uh, it's, it's a good spot, but I mean, yeah, Irish pubs by their very nature are just fantastic. I would say anyone and everyone I've been into from the um, the Black Rose in Boston. Uh, I mean, the, I think the United States probably has God knows how many of some of the greatest Irish pubs probably anywhere outside of of the old sod herself. And uh, and I would I would say uh, you don't take a back seat to any probably where you've played yourself as a musician or definitely where you've dined and drank. I'm quite certain. Oh yes, um, that that world tour is is uh, still ongoing <laughs> since I've been a young lad. As yeah, far as isn't touring it? Irish pubs, that's uh, so, so uh, true. It's so yeah, true. We, uh, when I was younger, my uh, my uncles actually had a um, all from Dublin. Obviously, 
But they all came over here my, on my mother's side. Uh, there was a, a corner place there for years ago. It was on the stretch here and just the next town over from me, right? And uh, they, uh, my Uncle Jerry and my Uncle Jimmy and all those guys, they, they used to have their own painting company. It was called the Shamrock Painters, Shamrock Painting Company. Okay. And uh, just down that was the, the Shamrock Pub was at the corner on the strip. So anyway, years went by, and the Shamrock Pub on the corner closed, and then they, they blew this place out. Anyway, they took over this place called the Whistling Gypsy. Ah. And uh, they had a small stage there. So it started there for me as a young kid and all that other stuff. And then forget about it. I mean, uh, got great memories of going to see my Uncle Christie up in uh, Cape Cod. He's uh, he's an Irish uh, troubadour himself. And he's played up uh, in Cape Cod for years. And I got great memories of going there. You know, starting there as a wee lass. And then, you know, you grow up. And uh, But, you know, you know, buddy, there's no better place than having a pint over in Dublin. so Or, or, or anywhere in Ireland, to be honest with you. And we've both been lucky enough to get over there, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have uh, gotten over the, the big pond there. And uh, there's nothing better than a pint of uh, Guinness over in Ireland. And then I, I don't know how you are with pints of Guinness, but obviously it's the poor, and you can definitely know that, you know, you're really staunch traditional Irish pubs, whether here or anywhere else outside of Ireland, they've got to have that, that great pouring. And, and if you can go to certain places, and sometimes it's soup. And then there's other places that just know how to how to pour it. Now I we haven't been able to play there since uh, March because of the COVID, but uh, I have a steady residency at a phenomenal Irish pub out here in Massapequa, Long Island, called Paddy's Loft, and nice. they've been awarded in New York uh, almost six seven years straight now the best pint. And, wow, uh, it is fantastic. So if you ever get back down here to Long Island, my friend, um, you're coming down. For pinting the song, and hopefully by that time, like I said, we'll all be back, you know, elbow <laughs> to elbow at the par at the bar and having a few drinks. But um, yeah, I mean that's what it's all about. I'm lucky. My buddy, uh, my my cousin John, uh, and my uncle uh, over there, his dad uh, worked for Guinness for years. And I'll give you one quick story on this. He came over in the '90s there when we were young lads. I ended up being his best man uh, in Ireland, uh, 1990 something. Uh, 98, 99. But he had come over about a year or two before that, and he was working for Guinness. And there's another great Irish pub. It's not here anymore. Um, Lily Flanagan's here. Uh, it's a new place now called R.J. Dan- Daniels here in Rockville Center, Long Island. But before that, it was uh, um, Lily Flanagan's. And I'll never forget, we're out drinking, and we order a few pints, and John goes, oh, that's there's something wrong here, right? So we knew uh, PJ and the bartender's there, and we tell John he's over here. And John actually went down. And he went down into the cellar, and he fixed the kegs. <laughs> he fixed the kegs for them because they weren't getting the right amount of gas out to pour, Fantastic. The, proper, pour the proper pint. I'll never forget it. And he's up over the bar and stuff. And needless to say, we drank free for the rest of the night, or at least the rest of the, rest of the vacation. But, yeah, man, you got you to gotta have a good system to pour a good pint. You know that, right? Absolutely, I know that. My father taught me that years and years ago, and I'm not even a Guinness drinker per se. I mean, I will drink it, but it's not my drink of choice. Uh, I certainly have had them, but uh, I'm I'm more of a harp guy when I when I That's am. Good stuff too, man. How about a black and tan with a harp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. There's some great combos. You can you can <laughs> definitely mix and match and get some great combos over there. But I find very quickly I get into the whiskey and. Uh, uh, they've just got so many that I either haven't tried or haven't even heard of, for God's sake. I mean, it's uh, when when we were over on the golf trips at this time of year as when I've gone the last two times that I've been in 2015 and 2011, both for golf trips with 15 guys from the course. And and uh, in 2011, I believe it was Tullamore Dew was all the rage because that commercial had won had won uh, commercial of the year in the, in the, in the, those contests that they do. I mean, it's, it still was, it was pretty special. It was filmed in Ireland. It was actually a New York crew that put the whole thing together, produced it and went overseas, got the actors and the whole nine yards, picked the song. It's a spectacular commercial. If you haven't seen it, Google Tullamore do and, and commercial, it'll come up right up right away on YouTube. You can watch it. It's uh, the long version. It's absolutely spectacular. They've done several since they're all good. But that one to me was the best. So we were drinking a lot of Tullamore when we were over there just because of the commercial. But, uh, no, I love Harp. I was on to Harp early uh, in the 70s when we went over. And I was of age and became sort of my Irish beer of choice, if you will. But uh, my dad, my late father, was a Guinness man through and through. And 
he he very much appreciated a good pour and told me the nuances of it and and we watched for it here whenever there was uh, a, an opportunity to to drink one here he would always comment on it on its quality based on its pour so certainly well versed in that and I've been to the plant the whole nine yards as most have did the touristy thing but uh, you're right buddy anybody who gets overseas. Uh, get to Ireland if you can and uh, get to an Irish pub. And if you can, get off the beaten track a little bit. I mean, Dublin is still a fantastic city, but it's a tourist city more as much as anything now. And there's lots of great pubs just in behind maybe where you would expect the McDades and some of the ones that get all the notoriety. Uh, get in behind and find one that uh, at the end of the night when it's time, gentlemen, please, do you not have homes to go to? And they stand up and do the Irish National Anthem. Those are the ones you want to get into, I think, and uh, and have a chance to really experience um, a little bit more of the culture, let alone if you can get into the actual countryside itself. And uh, Because you don't have to go too far outside of Dublin where that clock winds back 10, 20, in some cases 30 years in some of those towns. It's like time has stood still. And it really is um, a unique experience because they're an unbelievable, friendly people. They're steeped in history and tradition. They're ripe with music and passion. And uh, and it's it's just an incredible experience. I'm very biased saying that. I'm sure you would uh, concur I'm with not, yourself. I'm, I'm listening to you, and all the memories are coming back, man. And I'm, <laughs> you know what? Great? There's one thing me and yeah. my wife can't wait is, is to take the kids over, you know? so yeah, Me too. My brother... My brother Mike took his daughters last year. I, I'm just not in a position, uh, you know, resource-wise to do that right now. But it's a bucket list thing. And I will, God willing, uh, get over there with my children, maybe get back with uh, with Mike and Sean. Uh, Sean's boy, Patrick, hasn't been either. But my brother Mike has two daughters, and they, they went last year. And and uh, so I'm very envious of that because I'd love to get my uh, my children over. I know what it meant for me, you know, to go over at the age of nine. And uh, my, my grandmother was still alive at that time. And and, uh, you know, meeting my uncle, my great uncle, Tom McGuire, uh, you know, these this this is a man who, you know, fought for Irish freedom, you know, in the turn of the century in the 1900s with the IRB and the IRA. And you say all the things you want. It's not the, it's not about that, but it's just about the historical connection, at least from a McGuire perspective. It was it was very to me now I look back at it as cher- very cherished memories to say, yeah, God, I mean, he took us fishing you know, uh, in West meat, it was amazing when you think about it. So very thankful to have those memories and anybody can create their own just by making a trip over and put it on your, uh, on your list. You won't be disappointed. You really won't. It's, it's, uh, 40 shades of green is a hundred percent true. If you fly in on a, and on a sunny day, you'll see that. And they've got beaches there that will blow your minds. If you get up to the West coast and in around the Dingle area, you got the Connemara Mountains, where the water is the absolute purest in the world, and and they're, they're just the greatest people. So, you know, two thumbs up there, brother. Absolutely. Swing into Galway, too. And if you don't like the Guinness, get yourselves a Smithwick's or a Carlsberg. Get you going, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go there for the uh, the Onion Festival there or something in uh, in uh, September. That's uh, late August, whenever it is. It's quite, uh, it's quite the party, and Galway's oh, fantastic. You're not far from... Uh, from Ring, where they filmed The Quiet Man. It's yes. about a 25-minute drive, and it's beautiful countryside, and, and one of the greatest movies ever filmed in Ireland, as far as I'm concerned. And you can go on the on the Quiet Man Bridge, you know, where John Wayne, it's, it's, there's so many. The town is essentially still the same. Kong, that town of Kong, where they filmed it, I should say, not Ring. Ring is where Mooney's Pub is, where I met Liam Clancy. <laughs> so I'm getting all, I'm getting all into it now. Going to have to pour brother. a whiskey right now. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Good stuff. Well, you know, whenever you make your first five mil and I make my first mil, we'll uh, (laughs) we'll load up the planes and we'll do a show over there, you know? Yeah, there you go. Bring it to the homeland. It'll be good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it sure would. It sure would. All right, buddy. So with the spirit of uh, halfway to St. Patrick's Day here, Sticks and Tap, great to do it here with you. And we'll do some Irish stuff at the end there as far as our song and our toast. But let's talk a little hockey, as we like to do here at Sticks and Taps. The Irish way, the Irish version, as me and you give it. Um, game six tonight, buddy. The Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. What do you think of the game the other night? Where do you think this series is going? And um, what, what are you expecting this evening, my friend? Yeah, well, I, I think Tampa gets it done tonight. And 
I just, you know, I mean, obviously anybody who watched the game, uh, the last game, and I did, and the comments were all well taken. It was not a Picasso by any means, Polly. I was a little chagrined at the, at the, I guess the level of, 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 of angst it seems over because these guys who have been living in this virtual bubble, if you will, under lock and key and all the COVID tests and then thousands upon thousands and not a positive one and the entire league and the players and the commitment and everybody coaching staff infrastructure all should be applauded. And we have done that. Look, they, they, they haven't got the, the the backing of the fans, their home buildings, they you know, they've had little if any contact with friends and family other than connecting through the phones and whatnot, and and so they laid a bit of an egg. And you got two teams now that have settled in. The Islanders are playing a certain style. Both those teams are going with eleven and seven, eleven forwards and seven defense, and leaning heavily on that style to protect leads and things of that nature. And so you got a dud game. I think tonight's will probably be a little bit better, but probably only marginally. But I expect the Tampa win. They're a better team. However, when you and I talked a week ago, first of all, I called Vegas to win. So I was wrong there. Dallas got it done. We'll touch on that game in a second, Paulie. Okay. But in respect to Tampa and the Islanders, Islanders are full measure for being here. I know the game wasn't exciting by any means. But at the end of the day, based on the circumstances, the overwhelming majority of games, uh, I think since they got through the play-in rounds, have been, I think, outstanding. The overwhelming majority. And they got a dud here last game, these two teams. I expect it'll be better tonight. and Because I don't think Tampa wants to mess around with a Game 7. Having said that, my point is, last week when you and I were talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and at that point they were looking at a Killorn suspension, which happened. They were looking at Braden Point not playing, which happened. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at Stamco still being out, which he is. And now we're looking at, similarly tonight, uh, potentially point not playing and Stamco still out. And that's so that's a big nut to overcome. And and uh, that's a huge loss because Braden Point was in the running and still is for the Consmite Trophy, although Hudobin has taken the early lead on that as Dallas has advanced to the final, largely on his back. Having said that, I think everybody just needs to back off and understand that you're going to get one of these games every now and then, and that's what happened here. And if you're still a hockey fan, well, tune in tonight at 8 o'clock. They'll be dropping the puck at 807, whatever it is. And, and I think we'll get a better game. I do think Tampa will find a way to get it done tonight. But it is interesting to me that they've gone with both teams here with 11 forwards and 7D. And they're, they're, you know, they're going with a veteran 7D with the Islanders with Johnny Boychuk and, and with uh, Tampa with Luke Shen. Both guys in their 30s, you know, playing a while here, playing a role and, and, and just, just spelling in, getting their minutes in. And yet that's leading to what we saw the other night. You can get a restrictive style. It's kitty by the door. It's a little bit of trapping. It's playing for a break. And it didn't lead to very exciting hockey, despite the fact it went into double OT. The Islanders ended up with 24 shots on net. They're, they're, less, they're less concerned about getting a shot on net than they are more with just scoring on an opportunity that presents itself, hanging around, getting a break, hopefully capitalizing on it. Despite the fact that if they lost, they were out. They still played that same way, and now here they are. They forced a game six in this in, in the semifinal. You've got to give them credit. Well, at the end of the day, you've got to give Barry Trotz and that coaching staff credit, and here we are. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out tonight. But I expect a better game. I expect a Tampa victory. Even with point out, I still think that they'll get it done, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was just curious your take on that. I mean, you know, Tampa looking tired at certain points. Uh, in their own end. I I think my concern is the, some of the bench management as far as uh, a lot of these guys staying out. I mean, um, just with Trotz, I guess I'm, I'm, what I want to cut through here is is Cooper and how he how he plays against this style or can he play against the style. I mean, I saw his, uh, his press conference, uh, you know, it was yesterday or this morning before the, tonight's game. He's in a great spirit. I mean, he's not he's not down on his team at all. Um, not necessarily that they should be, you know. Um, but I'm just kind of curious when when you see that kind of style that you're explaining, and Trotz is playing that now. Is that because that's the way Trotz has to play because he doesn't have the you know the star caliber or the certain kind of guys that uh, that he can do that? And you know, just listening to you say that they're you know they're basically playing you know not to take a shot and basically waiting for opportunities, and that's basically how they've you know they've won the two games in the series. Obviously, two bad defensive mistakes. 
uh, by two former Rangers, I should say, too. Uh, McDonough with the center <laughs> pass in, the, in his own yeah. zone there, and then uh, Shattenkirk on the forecheck there at the end. But yeah. What do you see as as Cooper as a coach that you can do there? You know, even with point out and Stamkos out and everything else, and dealing with certain aspects of uh, you know the build of his team right now. But as far as the game play, game style, is there anything Cooper can really do, or is, do you think? I mean, I I don't know what more uh, Tampa can really do. I think they've they've just missed out on a couple opportunities to post here. Um, uh, you know, a chance here or whatever. I thought Vass has been playing fantastic in goal uh, as well. But what's your take? I mean, if you're Coach Cooper and you're getting that same type of game tonight, outside of your power plays, what, what other way can you kind of try and mess this up for the Islanders? Well, first of all, go back to what you said about the Islander lineup here. And really, I mean, Barzell is probably your most gifted forward. Uh, you know, you've had a um, an incredible, like Jean-Gabriel Pajot comes over from Ottawa on the trade and, the Islanders didn't win a game and he didn't score a goal going into the going into the break, going into the uh the pandemic shutdown. Then they they start the, the play-ins and the and the playoffs and, and he's lighting up. He's got like eight or nine goals. He's been outstanding for them. He's been a huge part of their offense. Brock Nelson is just a guy that just I mean, he's just he, he's opportunistic. He finds a net, he's got decent size, he's got a good shot, he knows he finds the holes and he's played well for them. But they, you know, it's bar they'll go as far offensively as Barzell typically will carry them. It's scoring by committee. So, yeah, look, Barry Trotz came over after winning the Stanley Cup in Washington, knowing full well that at the end of the day, there's really only been one team in the history of the game, really, that's won Stanley Cups with any level of consistency, total run and gun, and that's the Edmonton Oilers in the 1980s. Everybody else has had a large presence on defense, and yes, they've had good scoring, but you have needed the back end to play a huge role whether it's your, your Dallas guys who have had unbelievable contribution offensively or whether you've had a group that have just been able to, to shut down. And, and, and you've always needed, almost almost always needed a, a defenseman that can contribute offensively. He's got to be, a, a whether it's a Victor Hedman, it's got to be somebody that steps up, whether Tampa wins the Stanley Cup or not. But I mean, right now he has been, he has been unfreaking believable yeah, for Tampa Bay. Yeah. But the Islanders are doing it by committee. Trotz knows that. He's worked these guys into this system. They don't play an exciting style. People aren't happy about it. And it's it's probably the closest we've seen to continual trapping, really, since the dead puck era ended with the full season lockout in 2005. And to be honest, Dallas are pretty much right there with them. So it would be a worst-case scenario, really, if the Islanders come back and win this thing. Because, you know, you're getting, I think, really much more exciting playoffs in the NBA right now, who you're up against. You got the NFL, which has started and has whetted everybody's sports appetite and, and, and let alone any other sports that are playing U S open tennis, U S open golf, uh, tennis, just finishing golf, just on full day today. You know, it's got everybody's eyeballs. As I told you, I was watching with full attention earlier, keeping my eye on tiger and, and every, and ju- he was playing with uh, Justin Thomas, who had an outstanding round. And that's got everybody's eyeballs, too. But Tampa's got the offense, for sure, especially with a healthy point. You don't even have, you don't even have Steve Stamkos, for God's sake. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Trotz and the boys are doing it by, uh, uh, they're, they're trapping, they're shutting down defensively, they're playing 7D. They're obviously getting outstanding goaltending as well. They don't really care about trying to generate offense. They'll know they get their chances, and they're opportunistic, and they've been scoring by committee. It's as simple as that. They rely on the CCM line as their fourth line to go out, be there, be you know, be be all they can be as a fourth line with Clutterbuck and and Martin Sezikis. Uh, you know, Sezikis hasn't even been in the lineup uh, these last few games, and and you know, Komarov's been playing. Uh, the guy knows the guy's quite. Uh, they're a veteran lineup too. You know, they, they they these guys have been around. But like I said, Barzell is their most gifted offensive guy. Well, Tampa's got five guys like that. So you know, it's I think they I think they sat back. Last game, they kind of, I mean, the Islanders scored first. That's the worst case scenario. Hedman ties it up on a beautiful shot. And you just think, I just found, I just read, oh, they're going to get away. They're going to find a way to get it done. This, this, they'll win this thing. After Hedman tied it up in the second period, I said, they'll win, they'll, they'll win this thing 2-1, 3-1, empty net. Well, guess what? Didn't happen. We know the result now. Shattaker gets caught. And uh, great play. You know, great play. That was a great play by Eberlay to score on that shot. That was no tip, and they made a great play on the short side to score that goal. Regardless, here we are, game six tonight. I think it'll be better, and here we go. And uh, I still think Tampa gets it done, and we'll get a Tampa-Dallas, and 
And we got a, a hell of a story that's developed here with Rick Bonus behind the bench, the circumstances with which he's took over. Everybody knows now, nobody has coached more games than Rick Bonus on a bench as a head coach or an assistant. He's, a, he's, he's beyond Scotty Bowman. He's beyond anybody and everybody. So this now has worked itself into a fantastic sidebar story with the Dallas Stars. And, and they're, they've already punched their ticket. And now we'll see what happens tonight. But I, I think Tampa joins them. And if they get, and you know, Stamkos has been on the ice. You saw the video. Yeah. So, I mean, if they get him back and, and Point can play to any level, then they're, they're going to be a tough out here. And let's be honest. I mean, it's not just a trip in the finals that they've had here in the last five years. They've been one of the most consistent teams. They haven't been able to get over the top and uh, to get another Stanley Cup since that one they won in 2004. But they, and the, in, the, in the Cooper, the John Cooper reign, they have been one of the best teams in the NHL, and they are poised. They are poised here, I, I think, to get it done. And I think that starts tonight when they eliminate the Islanders tonight. But, man, you know. <laughs> hey, a, us Ranger fans are waiting, man. We've been cheering them on the Lightning this whole damn series. Hey, look, I, I figure, I figure um, they just got to turn the Jets on in that first period. And I think like what you were saying before, if, if they can if they can put the Islanders where they have to open it up, you know, That's if they right. can put two or three goals in there in the first period and put the Islanders to make them change their game, it benefits the Islanders, obviously, as this thing stays close. But if the Tampa, if the Tampa has to force them to try and climb back, uh, and open things up, and I think that just opens up everything else for the town. I, I said, you know, my the only way Tampa loses this series is stupidity and injuries. You know, uh, so there's been yeah. a couple of dumb hockey plays where they've lost a couple yeah. of games, and um, obviously the injuries have helped, hurt them. So we'll see what happens uh, with that tonight. Hey, look, uh, on Rick Bonus and, and definitely Dallas, uh, obviously got to get your take on them, uh, you know, knocking out your Knights. And um, what's your, your history with Rick? Do you know him at all? Have you spoken to him th- throughout the years? Uh, you know, you uh, great stat there as far as the games coach and everything. But, you know, he's been here on the island, too. He's been around a long time. I, I've yeah. always kind of liked Rick Bonus, And he's one of those guys, like I said, a guy like me, 50 years old. I grew up with him. He's always been on a bench, you know, and uh, very familiar with him. And uh, it's great to see him get some success here, uh, obviously with Tampa there for a while, too. But um, give us a take on... Vegas losing and uh, a little more on, on Rick, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I do know Rick personally. I got to know him when he was here in Ottawa. And um, I'll tell you a, a quick sidebar story that involves him. When I got married in 94, our MC is uh, local. He, he's has since resigned from the position. He's doing something else. And I'm, I'm actually going to be working with him once the world comes up for air here. But uh, his name's Ken Craig. Yeah, he's one of the top, uh, he was one of the top promoters, uh, record, I uh, uh, should say, I guess, concert promoters uh, in Canada for the last 20 plus years. He he was working for Live Nation and House of Blues and things of that nature. He, there isn't an artist that he hasn't produced at some point, brought in at some point, you know, as a sh- for a show. And and um, he was our MC when Liz and I got married in 1994. And he he took a full year, about 10 months, actually. So close to a full year and went around and got the some of the biggest names in the sports and entertainment world to wish Liz and I um, congratulations and all the best on our wedding day. And he produced a video with I think it was 34 or 35 of them that offered up congratulations. This is from Julio Iglesias to to uh, Garth Brooks, Brooks and uh, Dunn. Uh, um, Bobby Hull, go down the line. It was absolute Celine Dion. I mean, it was crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy. Well, one of them was Rick Bonus because <laughs> he was coaching <laughs> the Senators at the time. Oh, wow. So he went, uh, he went on the uh, on the video and wished Liz and I all the best. And he says, Liam, we're going to continue to try and pound your Montreal Canadiens every chance we get. <laughs> that right on the video. I've uh, I, I, I've had some great conversations with Rick because a great hockey history tie-in. Rick's a Maritimer, and his late father grew up in Moncton, New Brunswick. And his best friend when he was growing up was a man named Gordy Drillon. And Gordy Drillon is the last Toronto Maple Leaf to lead the league in scoring, to lead the NHL in scoring, and it was in 1938. There has not been a Maple Leaf since then to lead the league in scoring. And Gordy Drillon did at that time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, it wasn't the Art Ross Trophy, 
because the Art Ross Trophy didn't start until 10 years later, 1947-48. So I always get a kick out of teasing my Leaf fans, friends, <laughs> by saying, you know, no Leaf has ever won the Art Ross Trophy. <laughs> and because uh, Gordy Drillon was the last guy. Now, I didn't know that. I knew he was. I knew Gordy Drillon led the league in scoring in 1938. He had 26 goals, 26 assists, 52 points. I knew that, but I had no idea his best friend growing up was Rick Bonus's dad. It was Rick who told me that, and I thought that was really cool. Gordy Drillon played on a line called the Dad Line. Gordy Drillon, Sil Apps, and Jerry Davidson at DAD for their initials. And uh, that Toronto Maple Leaf team in the 30s was a was a hell of a squad. They should have won way more than one Stanley Cup in that decade. They were in the finals so many times. But Drillon was a hell of a player for them. And uh, that's just a neat Rick Bonus connection that I that I always liked. Uh, um, awesome. I, I interviewed him on every show that I, that I did over the years. He was always very kind and gracious to jump on with me. And I've obviously followed his career. As he as he's bounced around, I mean, this is his best rip as a head coach for sure. He's been in the finals as an assistant before, or an associate coach, whatever you want to call it. I think at different times he's held that title. Like when Tampa went to the finals, he was a he was a coach with John Cooper. Rick was on the bench with him, uh, so you know he's been there. When Vancouver went to the finals, Rick was there. So you know uh, his best run as a head coach, I believe, I think, was with the Boston Bruins in the early '90s before he came to Ottawa, and they didn't have Cam Neely because the gutless wonder Rolf Samuelson, the career ender, had uh, <laughs> taken Neely out at the knees, literally, and and we all know the story there, right? Yeah. The bone calcified, and it basically ended Neely's career. And they didn't have Neely, and I believe the Bruins went to the semis in '92 with Rick Bonus as the head coach. So this is uncharted waters for him. And when you when you look at the circumstances. Taking over for Jim Montgomery, uh, it, it, the nature of how it went down and everything, and for Rick to uh, to be here, and it's kind of ironic, isn't it? We had last year with St. Louis running with Craig Berube, who took over for Mike Yo, crazy, and 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 basically won the Stanley Cup as an interim coach. And at this point, right now, Rick Bonus is an interim head coach. I mean, you know, Jim Neal has said, "Hey, look, we're sitting down and talking after this thing, regardless, and they're going to offer him the the the, the position, and he'll he'll take it 1,000 percent. He'll take yeah. it." But win, lose, or draw. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great story. And look, at the end of the day, did the better team win that series? Absolutely not. I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights were the better team by far. You couldn't beat Hudobin. Look, Pauly, there's a reason why goaltenders have won the Conn Smite 16 times. You know, yep. they've just gotten that hot for two months. Yes, some of them have been guys that have rolled like Patrick Waugh. Like, he's won three of them out of the 16. Well, guess what? Patrick Waugh is a Hall of Fame goaltender, so that can happen. Nobody knew what to expect with Dryden in 71, but for every one of those guys, there's a Cam Ward in 2006, or there's a Billy Ranford in 1990, or there's Ronnie Hextall, who despite his the body of work throughout his career, the best you could argue that he ever played was in his first season in 1987 when he helped, took the Flyers to the finals and he won the Conn Smythe on a losing team. What about Roger Crozier, 66? Same thing. Glenn Hall, 68. All goaltenders that won a Conn Smythe, in some cases not the Stanley Cup, but got to a final. So we'll see what happens here with Hudobin and Dallas. But right now, you got a goaltender that has put this team... He's not even supposed to be their starter. It's supposed to be Ben Bishop. And when ben, they threw Ben Bishop in, they got crushed. And they went back to Udobin, and they haven't looked back. And everyone's going, Jesus, what the hell are you doing, Rick? And 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 now they've gone back to Udobin, and they're going to ride them the rest of the way. Whatever happens, happens. So, you know, you go down the line and say, I mean, look, uh, Jamie Benn has been absolutely a beast. He has been a beast, especially in that last series against Vegas. And as, as he goes, his team goes. He's their captain. He's their inspirational leader. He's still contributing offensively. Uh, their their defense, as we noted earlier, and everybody knows, has has been the highest scoring D uh, this entire playoff run from the play and run right through. Nobody's matched this D, and and uh, hey, good on them. Hey, you know what? The last point on that, Paulie. Then back to you. When you're losing two nothing with ten minutes to go in in an elimination game, and you come back and win, I don't care how you do it. You deserve the W. And and at the end of the day. Vegas had their chances. They had power plays. They had five on threes. Pacioretty went dry. Doesn't matter. They were 0 for 3 in that game. The, the Stars dominated the dots, the circles, the faceoffs. Uh, they, they, they matched them pretty much hitting-wise. They got outshot, but they had Udobin. And as far as I'm concerned, goaltending is part of it, brother. 
And and the, the better team from position, center ice, through the wings, through the D, and especially in net, won the series. End of story. And that's and, and they're in the final. And I'm so happy for Rick. So I'm cheering for them like hell in this. And I did not predict it. Last Thursday, when you and I talked, I called <laughs> Vegas to uh, to eliminate them. And it and and it didn't happen, and here we are. So uh, so good on them, and I hope they I hope they can finish it. Yeah, man, it's it's kind of a, if you look back to the the team that won in ninety nine two thousand there too. It's it's just got a the stars have a nice mix of, of of young kids as well, and then you you look at guys like Perry and Pavelski that are in there, and and like I said, you talk about Ben and you talk about um you know Sagan and all these guys that are just kind of there's a. There's a nice mix. There's a blend. And, and you know it, Liam. Like, every team's just got to have that chemistry. It's all kind of got to blend together. And I agree with you. It's, it starts from the net out. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's what's win championships, you know. I mean, you, another guy that we, you know, Thomas there for Boston, you know, against Vancouver that year too, right? Yeah. He won it that year, right? So, well, um, he was a million years old. Yeah. And, and the guy had, you know, here's the, you look at his career and it's unfreaking believable. <laughs> but then he gets to Boston, you know, in his 30s and he does what he does there for a couple of seasons. And they were just amazing. And then, you know, I mean, of course, little did we know that he was working on construction of that bunker in Colorado. And of course, he's, in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, uh, that's working for him during the pandemic. But I'm sure he's got everything nicely set up there. He knew. And, uh, he knew. He knew. That he knew something was coming. Let me win and, a cup uh, here and build a bunker. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Glenn Hall used to just go back and 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 work on the barn. You know, back in uh, back in Western Canada. But no, Tim Thomas was secretly putting that bunker together and. And there he is. He's there. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, you know, it's 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 great what goaltends. I love the story. I love Hudobin. I mean, you look at the interviews, you look at the guys, the throwback, the guys. He's so much smaller than the, than the goaltenders that played today. Uh, you know, he looks more like Gump Worsley than than uh, Marty Brodeur, you know, or something. So it's it's he's a throwback. And, and the way he talks, I love it. I absolutely love it. They've got, you know, besides bonus, he's a story. Jamie Ben's a story. Their defense by committee. Come on, look at Kiravanta and uh, Gurianov, however you say his name. Who even knew these guys? You know, look, look at that guy's blast in OT to win it. And uh, Kiravanta with the hat trick. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm probably saying both those names know. wrong. But no, but the bottom know. line is, is that they, 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 have, they have made, you know, like you said, Pavelski, their fourth line, what they're getting out of Como and Dickinson. Uh, come on. They've got a guy named Rupert Hintz on the team. Come on. <laughs> I mean, they're the all-world name team, and and it's 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 just uh like they got a Klinberg for God's sake. I mean, it's unbelievable their story. There maybe they're a team of destiny. Who knows, you know? But uh, the bottom line is, Paulie, they're getting the freaking goaltending. And like I said, goaltenders have won sixteen consmites. And if this if the hockey ended today, Hudobin would be the consmite winner. So you know, uh, they're there. Because of him, and it doesn't matter how the hell else it happened, because you can you can go right back to the start of the freaking trophy. Belleville won the first one in 65, and the very next year, the Habs won the Stanley Cup in 66. They erased a two-game to, uh, to none deficit, losing both games on Montreal ice before they came back to win the next four, and they still gave the consmite to, uh, to Roger Crozer. So, you know what? Goaltenders have been doing it for 54 years in the playoffs that's just being awarded a trophy you can go back a whole lot more than that and there are so many stories Polly. so Hudobin is the latest in a long line and I'm thrilled thrilled for the Dallas Stars they're just they've got a myriad of great stories led by Rick Bonuses and Hudobin so let's see what happens absolutely be good stuff and if the Lightning do get through and Ricky does win with the stars. It's going to be one awkward handshake with John, with John Cooper oh, at the end of that. Hey, but. listen, I'll tell you something else. You know I wrote a fourth book on Goldie Goldthorpe. And um, on the back, I've got some, what they you call those pull quotes for the back cover. Every book has them. Anybody who's ever read a book knows that. And on our the back of ours, among the, the quotes, uh, including from Bob Costas, who wrote our foreword, um, is a quote from a man named George Gwazdecki. Now, George Gwazdecki is the most decorated head coach 
in NCAA history, in, in my opinion. You can look up and down at this guy's career. Not only did he win national titles, uh, but he, he has won various Coaches of the Year's award, award in NCAA hockey on six occasions, Paulie. Six wow. occasions. Now, when Tampa went to the finals uh, five years ago, I believe it was, he was on the bench with Rick Bonus and John Cooper. He was an assistant coach with them. And he does not have a lot of nice things to say about Mr. John Cooper. I'll tell you right now. Uh, save so, that for another uh, episode, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just say uh, you're, you're thinking about an awkward handshake, you know, at the end of the day. You know, it'll, it'll if Tampa get there, we're all assuming they will. It'll be what it'll be. One will be elated. Uh, one will be crushed and disappointed. But um, there's no love lost there. Yeah, there's gotcha. no love lost there for sure. And we'll see how it plays out. But uh, interesting connection to uh, to the real Ogie um, because George Gwazdecki played minor hockey with Goldie Goldthorpe in Thunder Bay. That's so he, he, he played two years of Bantam and two years of Midget with Goldie. And then Goldie turned pro and and George got, you know, went, uh, went, went down and played NCAA hockey as a player. And, and he's the only man in the history of NCAA hockey to win tight ch- national championships as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. He's the only guy, Paulie, the only guy to have that distinction. And I think that's pretty damn impressive. Right. And he was on the bench with Tampa Bay when they went to the finals. So this guy knows hockey, and he knows coaching. And uh, <laughs> got nothing nice to say about Mr. Cooper. But, uh, you know, hey, sometimes uh, there's just a break in the action and people have to part ways, right? It's like I said at the start of this when we're talking about my little disagreement I had on Bank Street in Ottawa all those yes. years ago. It's just a <laughs> failure to communicate. And that's what they had. And uh, so they parted ways. So there you have it. Uh, there you go, buddy. And hopefully somebody caught the last round. <laughs> all right, look, so speak. <laughs> Speaking of old teams there and, and going back there, working all that other stuff, but uh, there's a couple anniversaries uh, I know you want to talk about, and that's uh, some Team Canada teams. Uh, talk about the significance of that. Yeah, well, just very quickly, we just passed the anniversary of, of uh, you know, you get into September, you get all the Canada Cup action, and of course, when we do our show next week, uh, will be the anniversary of um, of Game 6 of the Summit Series in 72, so we'll spend a few minutes on that, but... In, on September 15th, 1976 and 1987, respectively, 84 as well, uh, Team Canada won uh, pretty significant games in international hockey history. And, you know, the Canada Cup, we did the toast on Dale Howarchuk last week, and we talked about his, his impact in that game, winning that last draw. Well, the anniversary of it was two days ago in 1987, and so I wanted to acknowledge that, especially because we had done what we did, you know, on Dale Howarchuk last week, Paulie. But I, the one I really wanted to just spend a few seconds on was the 1976 edition, which was the first Canada Cup. And that team, Canada, I get asked this all the time, the greatest teams, right? Because there's votes, you know, whether you think it was the Oilers, the Islanders, uh, uh, obviously my vote and most people who know hockey know it's the 77 Habs. is the greatest single season team of all time. But if you want to talk about the greatest hockey team ever assembled in the history of the sport. The 94 Rangers. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but they were full measure for that win. But that was a hell of a series, let's be honest. Against the Vancouver Canucks, up three games to one. Canucks forced game seven. That game seven was a beauty. And that was a huge win for the Rangers. But no, Team Canada 1976 had has... 18 players that went to the Hall of Fame. 18. Wow. I'll just read the names for you very quickly. That went to the Hall of Fame. These were all on the same team that won the Canada Cup on two days ago, 1976. They beat what was then Czechoslovakia in a best of three, two straight, 6 nothing and 5-4 in overtime on a Daryl Sittler goal. The Hall of Famers, Bill Barber, Bobby Clark, Marcel Dion, Phil Esposito, Bob Ganey, Bobby Hull, Gila Fleur, Gila Point, Lanny McDonald, Bobby Orr, Gilbert Perrault, Danny Potmay, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, Steve Schutt, Daryl Sittler, Jerry Cheevers, and Rogie Vachon. That's 18 players. You know who it doesn't include? It doesn't include 50 goal scorers. Danny Gare, Reggie Leach. Richard Martin, 
the Montreal Canadian all-time single season assist leader, Peter Mahovlich. Wow. Uh, and uh, the extra defenseman, Carol Vadney and Jimmy Watson. Carol Vadney, <laughs> he was my favorite Ranger. Carol Vadney scored the last goal ever on Ken Dryden in 1979, but I digress. Stanley Cup winner with the Boston Bruins, Jimmy Watson, two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Philadelphia Flyers, obviously not Hall of Famers. That was their roster. Also in the Hall of Fame, their head coach, Scotty Bowman. Yeah, wow. That's the greatest team ever. That's the greatest team ever by far. Look at their defense. Bobby Orr, Denny Potvay, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, Gila Point. See ya! See ya! I'm, I'm, I was writing the names down as you were calling them out. I'm saying, man... Forget about the players. That must have been some hell of a ball party after the games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the best story, roommates, they all had roommates, right? So uh, uh, the guys who um, were in the same room were in, uh, were for Bobby Hull was Larry Robinson. Larry Robinson and Bobby Hull roomed together for the 1976 Canada Cup. Larry Robinson told me, he says, Liam, I never saw him. <laughs> Forget about curfew. He never made it in the room, period. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he led the tournament in goals, Polly. Unbelievable. He led the tournament in goals. No man scored more goals on Vladislav Tretiak than Bobby Hull. He doesn't get all the hype, eh? Neither him or Phil Esposito. They don't get all the hype. And what the hell? Like, we scored on Tretiak like he was a, like he was a, you know, a rented mule. Yeah. Like we had no problem with him. Now, they're two of the greatest scorers in history. But anyways, that's a oh, whole that's, other story you know, for another you know time, how, how overhyped Tretiak is. But uh, yeah. regardless, the 76 Team Canada was the greatest team ever assembled. And, uh, yeah, phenomenal. Just unbelievable. And, and Liam, is the, those – forgive me if this is a stupid question. All that stuff is on – you can get that stuff on DVD, right? You can go back and watch those series, those games, correct? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I believe now – I think you can get the final game of 76. Okay. Possibly one or two of the others. And I believe there is a DVD set available for purchase somewhere out there of the series. To be honest with you, I'm not 100% certain of that. But um, I think, you know, Paulie, I was at uh, game one. Me and my dad went to game one. It was here in Ottawa. And Canada beat Finland, I believe it was 11-2. Hey, Bobby Orr had four points. It's the only time I ever saw him play live. And I was uh, 17 years old. And I went with my dad. He got us a couple tickets. And, and he and I went. And uh, they, they played Lafleur on, the, uh, on the right side with Gilbert Perrault and Rick Martin. That was one of Canada's lines. I mean, you wow. kidding me right now. It was unbelievable. Then they had Bobby Hall playing with his old, his old centerman, Phil Esposito. I mean, it was it was just sick. It was sick how good they were. They scored at will, really. They could have they could have won like fifteen to one, really. But uh, it, it Bobby Orr on the ice. Excuse me, Liam. I mean, the other thing too is the NHL at time at that time too was a very very tough oh. league to play. In. <laughs> you, I mean, these these names that you're you're running off here too, and there was they they played real. Dirty, mean hockey. The skill level is there, obviously. And then, you know, we joke about the partying, and they did. And you sit back as far as the conditioning and the training and what it is today compared to what these guys did. And these guys are all legends. It's it's amazing. And I do want to – I'm going to see if I can try and find it somewhere, YouTube or what. I would want to watch a little bit of some of this stuff for next week. But um, yeah. those international teams that came over, like the Czechs and the Russians, there's no way – when you think about just the physical aspect of the series, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. How are they going to beat these guys? There's no way. No, no, no. There, 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 was, there was no way. I mean, the Czechs won a round-robin game against us one nothing when their goaltender, uh, uh, Zarilla there, he stood on his head. And, and uh, you know, they had, a, they had a bunch of, not a bunch of guys, but they had, you know, they had uh, Yaroslav Pozar. He came, they had Marion Stashny. Peter Stashny. I mean, these guys came over. Peter Stashny is one of the greatest players to play in the NHL as far as I'm concerned. They had uh, Frantisek Cyrnik, Yuri Bubla, uh, who played uh, in the NHL, whose son played in the NHL, Yuri Slager, Frantisek Caberle, Ivan Alinka, Yuri Olik. I mean, they, 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 they had a good team. Uh, you know, uh, 
Holacek and Zarilla were their goaltenders, uh, and uh, they they were they were a good club. Uh, they were full measure. Uh, the Russians didn't send their best, you know. I think they were still reeling from '72, and we spanked them three straight in their barn with their officials, even though they stole our beer and our food. And uh, we won three games in a row to spank them, send them home with their tail between their legs in '72. They come over really with half their national roster. We beat them in the semis three-one. And um, and the Czechs were were a much better opponent, to be honest. But uh, no, I mean, we won game one, six, nothing in a walk. And so they they probably partied all night. And uh, as a result, the Czechs were full measure for pushing the envelope in game two. But uh, yeah, you weren't beating this team. It's just one of those ones that's put together. It's like the World Junior Team, Team Canada 2005 with the lockout, you know. And, you know, we had Crosby and <clears throat> Perry and Getzlaff and, Shea Weber, Dion Phaneuf, and you go down and look at that lineup, it's sick. And, yeah. you know, we pounded the Russians in the gold medal game, like, thanks for coming, pay the babysitter. <laughs> and uh, it's essentially the same thing in the 76 Canada Cup. I mean, and in terms of toughness, I mean, uh, Denny Potvey and Larry Robinson were, were, were going to absolutely crucify anybody physically. Up front, you didn't really need it, but you had Pete Mahovlich if you wanted to get, you know, Really, he was probably their most physical forward. Lanny McDonald be a close second. And really, other than that, really wasn't a lot of physicality, really, in the tournament, to be honest with you. Um, wasn't really needed. Wasn't really that, didn't have to worry about that style from the um, East Bloc or, or Scandinavian countries so much, and, or Team USA, for that matter. I mean, they, they had a good account themselves. They had a, they had a bunch of very well-known players on their, on their team. Rick Chartrop played, but he's, you know, he was... Um, NHL guy, not so much as a star. I mean, he was like probably their, one of their toughest guys. They had the Bennett brothers, uh, you know, Lou Nanny. But I mean, he was past his prime. Craig Patrick, Larry Plow, they didn't really have any any scoring, you know, per se. Not that that came along later in the '80s after Miracle, but uh, yeah, they, it was it was Team Canada all the way. I just wanted to give him a shout out, and uh, we just passed the anniversary of it because I get asked all the time, "What's the greatest team ever?" Well, there's a chance right now in Sticks and Taps to let you know about it. 18 Hall of Famers. You're not touching that. And it's um, not including Scotty. So it's, yeah, I just wanted to give him a shout out. Yeah, no, good stuff, man. And uh, like like I said, just seeing all these names again, just great memories and um, just incredible players. And, and that was just uh, t- the fact that, uh, you know, that opportunity was there to have those guys all together in a tournament. And that's, that is the great thing about either it's, the, you know, the World Cups, the Canada Cups and, and the Olympics, you know, it's, it's to put the best uh, in, in one jersey and it's uh, great stuff and, that's great memory, man. Super team. And, uh, yeah, we'll carry it on next week, man. We'll just definitely uh, talk a little more about it. So, um, speaking of other, you know, recent news in the NHL here, uh, let's talk about your Habs and, and the signing here of uh, Edmonton. Uh, you, you're you going to know more about him than I am, uh, just seeing uh, reading the uh, the article there, too. But um, as far as Montreal, is this a good thing? Uh, talk about the kid a little bit and, and, and your take on it. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, they've added some size to a guy who can probably play top four minutes. On the team, he's young. They signed him to, I think, a very affordable contract. Um, I love the deal. I love the signing, uh, 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 the trade, I should say, it's for a fifth-round pick. I think uh, you're, you know, the Habs are flush with picks. I think next Ottawa, they had the most, or, or certainly right in the top two or three of anybody that was picking in the draft. They've moved two of those now: one in the Jake Allen transaction, and one here now for Joel Edmondson, who they got under contract. I mean. Uh, you know, initially the naysayers, of course, oh my God, he's unrestricted. You know, uh, what a gamble. Probably won't get that done. What a loss. Threw away pick. Well, no, now they got it done. Oh my God, you signed him for too much money. And now he's a Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, he's 27 years old. He's got great size. He can score a little bit, like, and he can take top four minutes. He's very dependable in his own end. And, 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 uh, and he's already got a pedigree of winning the Stanley Cup. And, you know, and, and he went to that Carolina team and, and I thought did an outstanding job for them as well. I like the guy as a player. I think it's a great trade. Uh, even you look at the trade, uh, um, you know, between Buffalo and Carolina. Carolina's made a couple deals now and it's shaking things up here and moving out Eric Stahl, you know. And, and uh, I, I, I like that trade for both teams as well, with Carolina and Buffalo. So right now on paper, I think those are those are good deals. I like the Montreal deal and I like the obviously the subsequent signing and and I like the trade to Carolina and Buffalo. These are both teams right now that are trying. Like Carolina has been sort of, sort of, you know, sniffing around, maybe making some noise and going deep, and they haven't been able to do it. So they want to change things up. They're doing that. And Buffalo desperately trying to help out Jack Eichel here and get anything they can to help, you know, give him a supporting cast. And you're bringing in Stall. You're saying at 35, he's over the hill and washed up. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think he's got a little gas left in the tank, and he's got a little bit of a history. 
with Jeff Skinner. I, 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 I like it. They're going to put him probably in the second-line center position, and I like that for Buffalo. So, you know, I, I, meanwhile, Carolina gets a little younger. And, you know, uh, whether they think they got the depth to replace Edmondson, they obviously do. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't get it done with him there. I mean, they played the games that they did. He scored in the playoffs. Again, he's not there to be brought in for scoring. But he can contribute a little bit offensively. And he's, he's young. He's now signed. And, uh, and he brings size to the table. And we touched on it last week, Paulie. You look at these teams. St. Louis last year. Look at the physicality that Washington brought to the table the year before. And you look at what's going on right now, with, even with the Dallas Stars. You know, even the New York Islanders, like they are physical teams. What did Tampa do after Columbus smoked them last year? What look at the changes they made? Bogosian, you know, uh, Patrick Maroon. They they uh, Coleman go down the line. Yeah. They brought in Goodrow. They they brought in guys to add a physical element to their game. And and it, this isn't the mid seventies that you and I just talked about. It's not that era. It's not that you need five or six guys to combat Ryan Reeves. But you need physicality still in the game to win these best of sevens through four rounds to even get to a final, let alone win a Stanley Cup. And Montreal are desperately trying to, to give some insulation here with Carey Price because bringing in Jake Allen, you know what the play in and that first round loss to Philly showed the Montreal Canadiens and their staff? Oh, my God. If we can give Carey Price adequate, adequate rest and we can somehow find a way to, to get in the postseason, maybe maybe with a rested carry price, maybe we can make some noise if we can improve the team in front of them a little bit. And that's what they're trying to do. So I love the trade. I love the signing for the Habs. Absolutely love it. And and, and uh, we'll see. There'll be lots more to come here with these other teams as everybody tries to retool here because the turnaround is going to be so quick, right? I mean, we'll be playing here in, in January, if you know, and uh, with the next season. And the games will be condensed, right? Because there'll be no... no uh, no, no bye weeks, no all-star game more than likely. And, uh, and they still want to try and get an 82 game. So, and who knows, maybe they'll have to play the whole thing in a, in two or three bubbles again. Who knows? I know you had mentioned, we've seen it, that the world juniors are going to happen in a bubble. So they're going to do it, which is great because look at the lineups that every country could possibly ice with no NHL hockey starting. You could see, um, you know, a 2005, a 1995 and a, 2013 scenario here where the NHL lockouts provided with a lot of high-end talent available for the world juniors that you normally wouldn't see. Yeah, it's going to be uh it's going to be a trip. I'm glad they're bringing that tournament back and uh yeah, I mean we look, buckle up. We got tons of hockey coming our way. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I think um you know, you bring up a big point especially the way teams have to, you know, that's I think that's a great thing about the sport more than anything is how the uh the players evolve and how the league evolves and how they've even evolved through this uh pandemic and with the tournament and everything else. Uh it really is uh you throw that back on the teams now, the GMs, uh every you know, at least at least we, as fans and as, as organizations, you know there's going to be hockey. So that's the great thing. So we're still churning here. The, the hockey engine is churning, which is great. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how teams are going to adjust. And, and uh, you know, when whoever does raise the cup, uh, whether it's a Tampa Bay team that's been together for a long time, obviously made some changes, they would do whatever, the experience, or, you know, Rick comes in, another inter- interim coach comes in and does the same thing. So it's going to be a trip, and then you're going to look at uh, just the draft coming up. It's 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 good for us. It's good for hockey that we have all these different things to look at, and that's the beauty of the game too, all the different intangibles. I mean, uh, even Laviolette now going to Washington. Um, what's your quick take on that there? I think it's great for yeah. that team with, with the, where some of their top guys are right now. They're not rebuilding there at all, and they probably got another, you know, maybe two to three years tops here, and Labs might be the kind of guy to get them back to the finals. What's your take there real quick on Labs going to Washington? Well, I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. I mean, everywhere the guy goes, he's a winner. Yep. You know, again, a Stanley Cup winning coach, Stanley Cup finalist with different teams. He just bounces around. He comes in, obviously delivers a very, um, you know, a very workable message. Uh, players buy in, which is the biggest thing. Uh, the, the, the coaches right now, I think you've got a small window. When I say small I think the organizations has a has a rule. I think you're looking at three to five years, unless you're coming right from the right off the mat from from scratch. Otherwise, you know, if you've made any noise and you're just trying to retool and you're just trying to to find a, um, a the right fit, whether it be player personnel or whatever, and you get a coach in 
who can who can deliver the goods. Uh, you've got a small window, really, probably with him and and with with whatever group of players that you've assembled to try and take your run. And <clears throat> I just thought that was first of all, they have to look at themselves internally and really question what they did by letting Trots go. I mean, when you don't when your coach's salary isn't on the cap and you just won the Stanley Cup and you're in a pissing contest and the guy goes and does what he's done on the island and you bring in uh, Reardon and he just absolutely lays an egg there's just you just right from the get-go could see there was just a there was a there just was wasn't a fit there and i love it i love the labio that uh um, signing in washington i think it's a great signing and whether they went to ov or not and there's a lot of speculation online as to whether he was consulted or not my guess is he probably was given the state of his age the game his contribution to the team where he's at right now in his life and his hockey career i my guess is he probably was at least, at the very least, probably consulted on it and and uh, probably had some input. But I love it. I, I think the world of Laviolette is a head coach, and I think that's a great move by the Caps. Yeah, I agree with you too, buddy. I've always liked Lavs. Uh, he started out here on the island, and he's just, like I said, he's been where, whenever, wherever he went. I love that Carolina team. He took to the cup with Brenda Moore. It was just fantastic. That great series against Edmonton. It was just uh it was, it was fantastic. So uh, good stuff, and I'm uh, not happy for uh, us here, obviously, in the Metro that he's coming here, but uh, – We'll deal no. with it. Anyway, um, all right, buddy. So, look, another great show. Before we go, um, let's wrap things up with a, an Irish toast. And I know you have a, yeah. a song for us today. We're not going to play the song on the show, but we're going to tell everybody to, to go and listen to it. But uh, what's your toast of the week, buddy? And then uh, you'll tell us about the song. Yeah, well, you know, I I, I just wanted to um, – I've just been exchanging some emails with Serge Savard, and it's kind of what prompted me to ask you today to uh, – to uh, give a shout out to Team Canada 76 because we passed the anniversary of them winning the inaugural Canada Cup two days ago on September the 15th. So I wanted to give them a shout out. And I was I was uh, exchanging some emails with Serge Savard as we're having some preliminary conversations about the 50th anniversary of Team Canada 72 coming in a couple of years. Of course, a number of those players have passed away. So they're trying to put something together. And Serge was part of that team. And he was part of the 76 team. And, and I'd like to toast the 76 team as a whole as, as the greatest uh, Greatest team in hockey history. We're on this show to talk hockey primarily, Polly. We have some fun with the Irish connection, and we will here in a second with this song. But uh, my toast today, my Irish whiskey today, and I'm here and I'm ready to go with it. Uh, my bottle of Jameson's right beside me is uh, is on toasting Team Canada 76. Here, here, I'm with you on that one. No doubt about it. Beautiful. Get it, India. Super team. And I will just send an Irish toast out to St. Patrick's Day. We are halfway to St. Patrick's Day. And here's to 2021 St. Patrick's Day that we're all back out in the streets, back in the pubs, and having a great time and lapping it up like we used to, okay? So there's it there. Yeah. Cheers to there, brother. Perfect. All right. And to you, my friend. Always a blast doing this. All right, so let's wrap this thing up. What song? What's the Irish song of the week there, buddy? Well, listen. There was an Irish group that... uh, came out in the late 60s, called Thin Lizzy. And it was actually a play on words, if you know the Irish accent, and you actually uh, can can draw one up pretty good yourselves. But many people from Ireland pronounce T-H-I-N as tin, tin, you know, and Thin Lizzy, L-I-Z-Z-I-E was was uh, was what they, they actually were, th- they called themselves Thin Lizzy as sort of a play on the Ten Lizzy, uh, and and they were they were a hard rocking group, and one of the groups that came along after them, Polly, that kind of idolized their style and their music and their entire bravado was Metallica. Yeah, and oh, Me- yeah. Metallica took <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Metallica took a Thin Lizzy stalwart tune released in 1972 called Whiskey in the Jar, made famous by the Dubliners who we played last week, Dublin in the Rare Old Time, and many other groups have done Whiskey in the Jar. But Metallica did a version, actually live in Toronto in 1998, and then subsequently uh, taped it, and I believe believe it's on one of their albums. Garage Incorporated, buddy. There you go. 1998. Eight. 1998. So there you go. Detroit Red Wings won their second Stanley Cup with Steve Eiserman and group. They had won previously in the 30s and 40s, but none in that time period till Eiserman and the group won in 97 and 98. And out come Metallica. 
and it's called Whiskey in the Jar, and it's it means a lot to me, and I'll tell you why. I hosted or co-hosted five radio shows between 1990, 91, and uh, 2017, and every one of those shows after I heard that song in the late 90s by Metallica, I would play it at the end of my show. And I would play it up until just before the chorus where Metallica sang Stand and Deliver. And I would I would fade it down, Polly, because every single show, I, I called that part Stand and Deliver. And I would play this song by Metallica and I would honor the first responders. The firefighters, the paramedics, but especially the men and women of law enforcement. And I would do the Ottawa police, the OPP, and the RCMP. And I finished every show with that song, played until that part, where I would do my own sort of internal toast. And, uh, and I thought, wow, you know what? We always like to go out in Irish tune. I know we can't play it, you're saying, because of copyright and everything. But if anybody gets a chance, if you haven't heard it, go and put it on. And listen to it, Whiskey in the Jar by Metallica. And that's the one we're going out with today, brother. Good stuff, man. It's great stuff. Yeah, check out Garage Incorporated, uh, whatever digital music uh, you know uh, platform you use. It's out there. They made a video for it, too. It's all good stuff. It's a great pick. Love Metallica, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a great story and a great cause, as always. Uh, PD, everybody on the front lines out there doing a great job as the best as they can, and uh, that's a great tribute. We always do it, too, when we're out. Uh, not not that song, but when we play, too, we always make a nice nod to our, our first responders in our military. So uh, great stuff. Great tune, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank it once we're done here, buddy, all right, after the show. Me, too. Me, all too, right, buddy. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Six and Taps. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay healthy, stay good. And, Liam, go on. Say goodbye to the folks. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. G'day.